2: Hello everyone and welcome to The Bubbling Adventure, a podcast all about kids and how educating them positively can impact their entire life as well as society. Each week we're having conversations with guests on different themes and our aim is to have open discussions, share different points of view and learn in a non-judgmental way. Today we're welcoming Melissa, who is a pediatric occupational therapist, the CEO and founder of Ricardo Reading Mouse and home educating mom of five children. She will tell us more about what she does and how she can help children from birth upwards with aspects of their development and sort of helping them adjust to various learning environments and supporting their ability to learn to read, write, spell, interact with others, and perform valued daily tasks in a confident way regardless of age, ability, or learning style. The best way to support this podcast is to subscribe if you haven't already and write a review if you're listening from Apple Podcasts. But without further ado, let's begin! Mama, mama, en faisant cette chanson
0: Papa, papa,
2: en faisant cette chanson how are you
3: hi Julie I'm well thank you how are you
2: good thank you
3: could you please introduce yourself yes my name's Melissa Savonoff and I live in Brisbane Australia and I have five children aged between 22 and 10 and that's four boys and one girl and my eldest son has actually just had, him and his wife have had their first baby three months ago. So... Oh, wow. Congratulations. <laughs> I'm actually a very young grandma, I must say. So that's really lovely. And they had a little girl called Abigail. They live in Adelaide, which is a bit further south than me. And some people don't realise how huge Australia is. Mm. Brisbane is probably about two and a half hour flight from Adelaide. Mm. And we are about a thousand kilometres north of Sydney. So in about 100 Ks or an hour's drive from the Gold Coast. So that just gives a bit of perspective of where I am in the world. And I work as an occupational therapist with children for the last 15 or 16 years. And that's been wonderful, which I, know I will elaborate on more shortly. And I'm married to a beautiful husband who has his own business. And I have also, through my work with children, developed a range of resources called Ricardo Reading Mouse. And I've received a lot of referrals over the years with children that have handwriting difficulties. So I have a range of early literacy resources for children that's ever growing. And at the moment, I've got an ABC picture book. a Learn to read your three letter words book and apps on the app store on Google Play and a song album on iTunes. And a few um, different things and a YouTube channel that's got lots of free resources and I also do local workshops or prior to COVID I was doing local in person workshops through the libraries. For families uh, in supporting their children in preparing them for school with learning to read write and spell confidently and adjusting to learning environments and providing that support for teachers and parents and since covid i've been doing a lot more work online doing courses mm-hmm. and workshops so and here we are wow. well
2: that's very interesting
3: so yes. yeah that's a lot in five <laughs> minutes
2: <laughs> what what brought you to you know work with kids is it something that you've always wanted to do or did it come later in life how did you know
3: yeah that's a really good question or well, when i was at school in year 10 we had work experience we were given opportunity and I actually did work experience with a year four class and I was given the special needs children out on the school veranda with about three or four children. And at the age of 15, that was a bit overwhelming to be given all the hard or difficult children. And um, I survived the week and I really loved it. And I began to explore special ed teaching and actually through my grandmother, she was going to an occupational therapist in the aged care sector at the time. And she told me about occupational therapy. So I looked into it and found out that you can work with children. Hmm. So I finished high school and started studying occupational therapy and worked initially in acquired brain injury and mental health. And then that was for a couple of years. Then I had some maternity leave. And then I've been working the last 15, 16 years, part time in my own practice around having my other children. Hmm
2: yes and so could you please tell us a bit more about an occupational therapist and so what what do you do how can you help with yeah
3: occupational therapy is really doesn't give too much away in the term it doesn't really tell you exactly anything (laughs) Mm -hmm. except most people think occupation is to do with your work which is correct and we do work in return to work and workplace health and safety in those aspects but the meaning occupational therapy and the word occupation is the broader term of what occupies you, what is your gives you purpose and participation and function and meaning in your daily living. so with people that have had an injury and that are going through rehabilitation we support them in returning to what's important to them, their workplace, their independent living, uh, those kind of things and with children, we support families and parents with children whether they have a diagnosis or not what is impacting on their performance in early childhood years in school and then in entry to work how are they participating functioning what's their engagement and what's important to them as the child and what's important to them as the family and so that's the broader term of occupation so it's really quite uh, a wonderful profession I love it because you can work with the elderly, if you're drawn to work with the elderly, you can work in acquired brain injury, like I said, so that's in rehabilitation. In mental health, supporting clients to return to work and have that emotional and social support, which often people with mental health don't have as necessarily. Uh, they've lost those supports. And then with young children, parents don't may not have had information passed on from their parents. It can be overwhelming. What do I do with my child? I'm a first-time mum or have a child with a disability. So I really love it because we're there to empower and engage and, and support people to live a full lifestyle as possible.
2: Hmm, right, well, that sounds great. <laughs> so you help, for example, it can be anything you said from a disability to yeah. just support for
3: young parents
2: yes. or is it yes. also linked to the yes. writing skills or not at all?
3: Yes, yes. So. A really important occupation for children when they're going through school is writing and handwriting. And even in the day of technology with iPads and computers, there's a lot of research that indicates and supports evidence-based practice that handwriting is very significantly linked to improved reading and spelling skills. And so there's a cognitive motor, like cognitive meaning how you process and think about what you're doing, and then the motor impact of Actually, using your hand or using your body, using your eyes together, and so uh, the process of handwriting, for example, is quite complex. And I often share with parents and school teachers that it's like learning to drive a car. So when you're first, my older three boys, I've recently been with them in the car as learners, <laughs> you realise how complex it is because you have to take on the that you know, the gear stick, mm-hmm. uh, the steering wheel, the brake. The clutch and you have to actually pay attention to the road rules and other traffic and so it's the same when you're learning to handwrite. you can have your eyes down on the paper and really focused on how to say write the letter t for example and the teacher may say the cat sat on the mat can you write this for me and the, the child heard it they could act like a cat they could draw the cat they could say the cat sat on the mat but if they can't remember how to write the letter t all their cognitive Power, I guess, or their, their memory and their attention is to how to write the letter T with their hand, and they will quite simply forget the rest. So it's the same as driving a car. If you're concentrating on the brake, the clutch, and the accelerator, the steering wheel, you can forget to look out of the car at actually the road. <laughs> yes. So, for example, that handwriting skill is really important and it can cause a lot of anxiety in children who don't learn in the first couple of years of school and then they're delayed in other areas. And a lot of referrals I've seen from school teachers or pediatricians, there could be underlying causes. Children could have autism or developmental delays, low muscle tone. They could have been the child you know, um, of abuse or neglect. And so there's a lot of areas we look at. And I guess as an occupational therapist, the, the three things that we can break down and explain to people, are, and parents that might be out there or classroom teachers that are listening, there's three ways that like we look at the child or what's going on, their personality, their age, their social, emotional well being, the task that's before them. Like, are they being asked to handwrite? Are they being asked to kick a ball in a soccer class? Are they being asked to get dressed and clean their teeth and pack their bag in the morning? You know, there's so many occupations of a child. They're learning to swim, ride a bike. What is it that they're actually doing? And then the environment that they're being asked to do it in which can be so diverse are they being asked to do it at home and as we know with COVID there's now home learning versus classroom learning are they learning it alongside peers that are distracting them are the lights flicking is the tap dripping is the air conditioner distracting them there's so much to the environment that we look at so we look holistically at that child-centered approach of what's happening with the child and getting input from the parents and I encourage parents that they know their children the best when they're a supportive, loving network. You can ask the parents, and they really are the child's first teacher, the child's first cheerleader and child's first coach when it's a functional living environment with that support, and then also getting the support from the classroom teacher and putting in place things that can be done in the classroom. So mm-hmm. it's really excellent. I love it. And it's it's very rewarding. It can be trial and error, it can take time to work out what's going on, but we're trained in that and that's our area of expertise so it's it's really wonderful i love it
2: yes because i can imagine that in some cases this first diagnosis even could take time right because
3: yes i mean
2: it depends i guess how you said like how the parents know their kids are you able to to chat with the teacher every time how does it work? Do you ask more people than just the parents?
3: Yes. Well, in my case, often the parents come with a referral from the GP or the pediatrician or the classroom teacher. Mm -hmm. So they will come to me already referred with reports from others. So the classroom teacher may have already done a report to give to the learning support center of their school. And then they've talked to the parents and asked the parents to see a GP or a pediatrician or directly. We don't necessarily need a GP or a pediatrician or a teacher's referral. We can see parents directly. They want to see the child directly through a parent referral and conduct our own assessments and developmental standardized assessments that are used globally. Mm -hmm. And we can submit those, then give them to the parents to then take to a GP or a pediatrician for further diagnosis or recommend speech therapy, physiotherapy, Uh, behavioural psychology, optometry, whatever it is that the child may need. And I've been into schools as well. We work in the school system and we can work with the special ed teachers and the learning support networks, depending on what the funding is for the child and depending on, I guess, every country has a different setup in how that's done, whether it's private or public schooling and private or public funding. But um, there's a lot of occupational therapists who work in schools and the hospital system as well. So you've got so much diversity really, which makes it really wonderful for the opportunity of working because there's lots of areas you can work in.
2: Mm -hmm. No, that's very interesting. And so I had a question like, what can we expect whenever we bring our kids to an occupational therapist? So I'm guessing it depends on the kids and the task. But if we take, for example, writing are they like games is it also like a talking therapy how does it work
3: yeah with occupational therapy it's very much activity-based and play-based therapy and the functional purpose of it so if the goal is handwriting then we will look at the aspects of what's hindering that handwriting why are they not handwriting is it a physical thing that they have a diagnosis where there's a physical disability that's affecting them Or is it a muscular, which ties in with the physical disability? Is it their processing of hearing and seeing and then outworking that through their hand? So some children might have an auditory processing difficulty, they're seeing speech. So if information is presented to them in an auditory way, then if they're in the classroom listening to a lot of information and being asked to write and copy, that could slow down the process. Or if they have glasses and they their vision might be fine once they get their glasses and they're still not handwriting correctly. It's like, well, what's delaying the process? Are they actually aware of how to write their letters properly or they're slow in writing their letters? So when the teachers are speaking, they're getting overwhelmed because they're not quick enough and that's causing them to shut down. So it actually takes a little bit of in the initial appointments. We get to know the children and so they know we're not scary and we we do a lot of play-based activities that are age-appropriate and interest-based on that particular child and then if the task is handwriting we will sit down and ask them to do their best writing for us and that depends on the reluctance of the child too sometimes they don't even want to write so we'll tackle it with play (laughs) and um, different forms of write like you can get them to write with on a whiteboard or a chalkboard or
2: Mm-hmm. paint
3: and water and eventually get back to the pencil if they refuse to pick up the pencil for you but most children that I've seen are willing to to show you how they write and I explain to them that there's no other children here at the moment and your teacher or your mum or your doctor has asked me to see how you go with your handwriting because when your handwriting is tricky it can make school not so fun can't it or and you just talk to them in that way and and encourage them let's draw do you like drawing or do like playing ball and, mm-hmm. and you can talk to them while they catch the ball. And so you, you do it based around their interests and, and what's important to the child as well as obviously what the referrals come from the, the GP. Because if the child's not motivated and doesn't see value in it, then they're not going to be willing to participate. So that's a bit of skill and a bit of tact there <laughs> in, in working with children.
2: No, that's very interesting, yes. And so is it why yeah. you came up with the book
3: yeah the book I was seeing so many children probably about 10 years ago five 10 years ago which the book was published about three years ago with that were coming uh, aged about year two to about year five or six that had terrible difficulties with reading spelling and handwriting but had not a major diagnosis that seemed to indicate why there was such difficulties so I was working on their handwriting and there's there's a research, Mm -hmm. there's lots of research on handwriting and evidence-based practice. And I was working from a Queensland-based guidance counselor who did research at the University of Queensland on the functional implications of written communication and how when you're writing, how if you're not up to doing it automatically which is what I was sharing before, it can affect, like if you're not driving automatically, it affects your cognitive processing. You don't take in signage and other things on the road. So if your handwriting's not automatic, then it takes more of a load to remember how to write the letters. So you're more likely to forget your grammar, your punctuation and your spelling. So I was working with children to improve their handwriting and based on that research and based on the the Link between handwriting and reading and spelling, improving their handwriting so their handwriting was up to the average that was expected for their age. And then there would be less cognitive demand on their brain. They remember their letters now, then we can focus on capital letters, commas, and the punctuation, the grammar, and the spelling. So I developed the Learn to Read and Spell with Ricardo's English Word Grid. It's a unique uh, word grid that I haven't seen anywhere else in the world. And it has actually 230 of your Little three-letter rhyming words like cat, bat, sat, mat, and it's chapterized mm-hmm. based on the, the last letter of the word. So the all the words that end in the letter T, cat, bat, mat, pet, met, set, sit, fit, bit, there's 46 of those words alone. And they're in one chapter. They've each got a picture and they're each in this little grid. And it can help children in their, their first year of learning to read and write and spell those three-letter words. And the book prior to that is the ABC book because a lot of children were coming to me and couldn't sing the ABC song. So, for example, I saw a child last week who is in year three and they could not sing their ABC song past A to D. Mm -hmm. And in school you have to do a lot of alphabetical order and when you're learning to write you have to be able to sing the song and remember it in your head So you can actually copy or not copy, sorry, write the letters from memory. So you can imagine if you ask a child in an assessment, can you please write the letters A to Z for me as neatly and quickly as you can because I'd love to see how many you know and they can't sing the alphabet song. There's no way they're going to get them in order. So this young girl I've seen about three times and she was consistently getting A to D, A to G. And then last week she came in so thrilled. Her mum said we have been practising and it was the first time that she could get A to Z and she did it mm. consistently with only one mistake and she was one mistake around the letter T and she was thrilled, mum was thrilled, I was thrilled and she's in year three. So that's a foundation now that she's achieved and acquired. It's brilliant for her confidence and then we can build from there on then being able to write them automatically and spontaneously. So when you're asked to spell the word cat, which she can't remember at the minute, she'll be able to do, okay, I spell cat, C-A-T, and I sound out cat, k at, which the Australian accent's a bit different. But when you're reading, you're sounding out the letter. When you're spelling, you are saying the letter. And when you're writing, you have to remember the pattern in your hand. So there's three kind of memories you have with that letter to break it down simply. And, uh, yeah, so it's really fascinating in how we would do that with the child and how we would talk that through with the parents and that's how I came to do the book so I've got an ABC songs an ABC song that I wrote on YouTube and some consonant and vowel songs so that parents can use them freely at home to help reinforce that yes we can
2: link it it's Mm. in the description box you can click and listen to it
3: yeah that's correct and the links to the books no doubt we can Mm -hmm. put there too and it's that that's learning, yeah. With the movement, you can sing and move to the songs, and and um, that's how the resources developed to help children and families at home and empower the parents that there's things you can do at home and support your children, which is really wonderful.
2: Yes, and speaking of, I was sort of wondering, so if you notice that, or the teacher tells you that your kid needs support and. That there's something that they're not quite getting from the first go at school. How you know, like, what can you do at home, and when do you know that you need to take them to an occupational therapist? Like, how how can you judge
3: of that? Yeah, yeah, that's a really good question. Well, I guess when the when the teacher brings it to a child's atten- uh, to a parent's attention, then the teacher will be experienced in seeing many children and and have that professional experience there behind them. So Mm -hmm. I'm sure in all the cases that I work with the teachers out of their compassion and care for the children have brought it to the attention of the parents because they're concerned about some aspect of their development. And from there, depending on the parent, they can directly refer to an occupational therapist to have a developmental assessment done just to check that the child is fulfilling all the developmental milestones if necessary, or hone in on specifically maybe having a consultation to to see if there might have been things happening that this answers a question for the parents and they may may have not necessarily spoken to the teacher before and it may open a dialogue. Then there may be things happening at home that was a trauma or some kind of event which has suddenly affected the child. So it's kind of being aware, well, is it, the child or is it like I was sharing before the environment has something changed in their environment they had a little sibling that's born there's a baby that's born so suddenly that's affecting their their schooling and also asking the classroom teacher for specifics you know that's the dialogue between the teacher and the parent and then from there the teacher can either contact learning support who would contact local OT through with the parent or yeah, it just depends. Some, some OTs go straight into the school and the child may be referred and obviously the parent's aware of that and been involved that the OT sees the child at school. And I know of parents that through their full-time work, they may have never actually met the OT. Mm. Um, I was just speaking to a parent recently who hasn't actually, I was asking how their child was going with their school-based OT and through the, the parent's full-time work, they haven't actually been able to speak to the OT who sees them in the schools. So in that case, there's reporting systems through the child's education plan that can be reported back through the school to the parent and from the OT to the school. And so it just depends on that process of how it works. But for me personally, parents can contact me directly or the classroom teacher can on refer myself or a list of local therapists and it's up to the parent to contact us directly or go to their GP and see if they're eligible for funding different funding packages and then take it from there so there's a few different avenues but it's finding the information I think that a lot of parents find tricky and what to do if they're not at school and they're concerned and not everyone always refers straight to OT there's a lot of I guess general awareness that still needs to happen on what we do and I get parents who I spoke to a lady last week who wasn't really sure she'd had a referral from her GP for occupational therapy. And I asked her, I said, has the GP explained what we do and Mm. what I would be doing with your child? And she said, no, not really, I I don't really know. And that doesn't necessarily mean the GP didn't explain it. It may have been explained and it's a new thing. So, you know, when you're learning something new, you're only taking part of it. So it's a lot of awareness and education that we do. So then I was able to then explain to her what we do and um, in what way we can best assist your child.
2: Mhm, interesting. Yeah. So, yeah,
3: they yeah, people don't always come with all the information, so you have to explain. Yes, of course. Hmm. And so, do, did you have any success
2: story, really like a time that something incredible happened, yes. a good memory that you would like yes. to share?
3: Yes, I can think of two children that jump out to me. One young boy is probably about 14 or 15 now in a regular high school, and he had came to me as a baby at about six months old with low muscle tone, unable to roll and unable to to move.
2: Mm.
3: And I saw started seeing him and doing therapy as a baby and encouraging him to to move and to play and, and motivating him with different activities with his mom, like getting a swimming ring and getting him to lay over a swimming ring and, you know, pulling his toes up to his hands and little toys and different things that we do, which would take too long to go into for the point of now. Mm -hmm. But I continued to see him regularly throughout the course of his growing up as a toddler. And he learnt to sit, he learnt to walk, and he entered a regular school. And his mum continued to see me and a speech therapist on a regular basis, which regular for me working part time was definitely not weekly or fortnightly. It might have only been couple of times a term and I would give her home program activities which is part of that empowerment and education for parents that I've always worked from that philosophy I've never actually seen children on a weekly or a fortnightly basis unless I'm doing a short assessment which you need to do one or two appointments close together to get the assessment and the report done for the school or the GP Mm -hmm. but I've never done ongoing therapy weekly or fortnightly I've very much operated educating and empowering and coaching parents in what they can do at home In the usual natural environment to empower them and boost the confidence of the child and the parent in their bond together in working. So I give them the home program, which is three or four times a week, 10 or 15 minutes a day, different activities. And this young boy continued to improve. He went through stages of sensitivities to his feet, he was doing swimming lessons, didn't want to go in the water and touch the bottom of the pool. And I knew swimming was really important for his low muscle tone and so did his mum, so we put socks on his feet so he could swim with socks and then he didn't have the slippery sensation of the tiles and he loved it Mm. and he continued on seeing me till he entered high school year eight in a regular school and he just continued to thrive and so I don't see him anymore he has no need of me and that's really wonderful Mm. so that's that you know uh, it's really excellent and a lot of other children I haven't seen for that long at all Another young boy I saw for maybe two years from preschool to about year two, and he had autism spectrum disorder and had a lot of compulsive, obsessive Mm -hmm. behaviours. There was a lot of things that we had to work with. And he ended up, he wasn't speaking when he first came to see me. I did music with him. He loved music and we put music on. We'd do his handwriting, do different activities with him, and he ended up entering a regular school, learning to speak. And once again, myself out of a job really and I stopped seeing him and yeah so it's it's really rewarding and really lovely when you see that that light go on in the parents and in the children when they achieve something that's really important for them and gives them that beautiful quality of life yeah no it's wow see that's two of 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 many
2: (laughs) (laughs) yes I can imagine no it's it's great to hear so do you have any advice that you would like to share
3: Yeah. I just encourage parents that I see a lot of parents and you put the blame on yourself. And I've had this conversation recently Mm -hmm. and many times over the last 15 years. And I just said to someone the other day, you are here seeing me. So it means that you are caring for your child. Don't think anything different. And Mm -hmm. they were thinking they've had five children and their fifth child is the one I'm seeing the other four children. There was nothing they needed therapy for. So they were Questioning themselves, wondering, did they do anything different? Is there anything wrong? Mm. And I was encouraging them that, you know, as parents, don't take the burden on. <laughs> you know that it's your fault, or that you you are there to support your child. And as I encourage you, you're your child's first teacher, first cheerleader, and coach, and love your children and encourage them to do their best in whatever it is that they're interested in, and whatever it is that they feel is important to them, and and um, reassure them and you know, where possible, if there's need for therapy, work with the school and and encourage you that early intervention is so important. A lot of parents put it off and think, oh, well, they'll grow out of it and I'll deal with it later. But that's one other piece of advice is nip it in the bud and if there's any concerns you have through your child's health nurse Mm -hmm. or through your GP or through early childhood educators, you know, nip it in the bud and do explore the avenues of what may be needed to be put in place to support your child early and um, so you don't you save yourself years of patterns of behavior that when i see someone who's year six or seven by then they think i'm a bad writer i can't learn i can't spell and you have to do a lot more work with them versus a little five or six year old who doesn't even know that they can't do it yet (laughs) so that's what i could share really
2: no yeah thank you very very valuable i think uh, it will help a lot of people and it's always good to find out about these type of support that is available uh, but it's sort of I feel in yes. some cases you only come across if you need it or if you're referred to this service or if someone you you know yes uh, does yes. so it's, it's quite good to yes. know that these yeah. uh, solutions are out there
3: yeah it's very good and I just thought of one other thing too I think there's a lot You can do, even if your child isn't referred, like I spoke to a mum of a three-year-old recently and she attended one of my online workshops that I was doing in helping prepare your child for school in the the early years, not in the weeks or days or months just before school, but as a two-year-old, three-year-old, you can provide drawing and painting and Lego and craft and all the different things that you can fit in around mm-hmm. your busy lifestyle but engaging with your child reading and talking and speaking with them right from a young age at home and she was like oh until I did your course I, I was just leaving it all to the childcare um, staff and when we got home I'm busy mm-hmm. working put them to bed do that but now I realize in 10 or 15 minutes a day there's things I can do that build that bond with my child and I can do these things and so I was really thrilled to hear mm-hmm. that and um, it's I have an online course coming up, which I don't have any links for at the moment. It's still in the process, but moving on from that one-hour workshop, I've been um, going to release an online course that's not live, it'll be recorded, but it'll be the same information that people can access anywhere, anytime to help inspire them so that they know there's things they can do to help support their child right from the early years and have that beautiful engagement with them that are low cost, can be done around a busy full-time job and don't cost the earth Mm-hmm. and it's helpful for their child's development so i can let you know when that comes out and um, yes but it's okay. not available at the minute. no problem but yeah no and it's
2: also like a, a nice activity to do and to share with your kids so it's only beneficial i guess
3: <laughs> yeah absolutely wonderful yes
2: well yeah. thank you so much for joining us today yeah. melissa
3: yeah thank you so much for having me julie it's wonderful to talk to you halfway around the world we're heading into summer yes. and you're heading into winter
2: Oh, yeah, it's, it's coming fast. <laughs> but thank you. Thank you so much. Bye. Thank you so much for listening. Feel free to share if you think it might be helpful to someone you know. If you enjoyed this episode, then please make sure to write a review if you're listening on Apple Podcasts and subscribe if you haven't already. That's it for me. See you soon with the next episode. And in the meantime, have a lovely day.